You're listening to Giants Croncast, a podcast chronicling the San Francisco Giants, featuring Brian Murphy and Doug Brazoni, part of FFSN, Fans First Sports Network. Because I'm expecting you to just roast me. That's just... <laughs> That, so. that that never happened. <laughs> Are you why, sure? Why would why would I do such a thing? <laughs> Let me introduce you. Roger Munter writes for There Are Giants on his Substack, and more importantly, he is now uh, an actual definitive uh, font of knowledge for all things Giants prospects. You can hear him on KMBR if you're in the Bay Area. You know he's interviewing the beat writers. He's interviewing Dave Fleming. Uh, again, rogermunter.substack.com. You can find it there for a very reasonable monthly subscription fee, which funds all of his efforts to go to the games, talk to the players. He has a podcast. Roger, thanks for coming back. This is our first time having you on Giants Croncast on Fans First Sports Network. I was going to ask if this was the first time on the on the the new the new Croncast, um, but I'm happy to be back as always. Thanks for thanks for having me on, guys. I just want like right out of the, out of the gate. I'm a, I firmly believe now after all this time that it's just dumb luck. Player de- development is a coin toss, <laughs> and I think that for someone like you, that's got to be something that pisses you off. So. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of things. It's it, player development is life, right? There's a lot of stuff that is out of people's control that is out of teams control um you know accidents happen on the field accidents happen off the field uh as as the giants know there's a lot of player developments that is absolutely completely and utterly out of a team's control um what you know how a player's maturity level works what stuff they're dealing with off the field um you know did they fall and and twist their arm the wrong way as we saw in the the Giants game unfortunately tons and tons of stuff that can happen that's outside of team's control uh and also just you know how hard kids want to work uh to to pursue their dreams but there are certain things that are in a team's control and there and certain teams are better than others some teams Kyle McDaniel was talking about this on ESPN the other day you know there's some teams that have I think he called it like a point of view but basically they found a thing where they know they can make players better at x whether that's like cleveland can help pitchers add velocity um the dodgers are really good at at, at getting loft into team swings uh, kid swings there are t- some teams that really know they're good at a certain thing for everybody else yeah i mean there's there's some luck involved you got to find the right people and then have the right things happen to them but there's also a ton of organization, a ton of planning, a ton of resources put into this. And, you know, you try and find a lot of good kids and then help them to the best of your ability. Um, the the thing about player development is, you know, the default outcome is really failure. I mean, failure is what baseball is kind of all about. And most of these kids are not going to make it or they're not going to make it as much as they want to. A lot of these kids are going to, you know, flame out at some level below the major leagues because there just aren't that many jobs available opening up in the major leagues. Um, But that's kind of one of the fascinating things to me about is how do people sort of pursue something that is so kind of not quite impossible, but close to it um, and put so much work into it. I I always find that sort of psychological side of player development to be really fascinating. 
So the Giants' relative turnaround for their system, this it's basically a 500 system. I mean, San Jose on one end of the spectrum, uh, right? They're they're kind of leading the pack. And then AAA, uh, River Cats are a little under, but it balances out to about 500. So it's a it's an improvement. And I would also say, you know, characterization-wise, industry-wide, it's like, oh, everyone's kind of looking at the Giants being like, hey, maybe, maybe they've turned some things around. But that just makes me wonder if I, as someone who hasn't really budged up the idea that this is a coin toss, does that just mean the the Giants are cheating, Roger? Is that what's going on here? They have little buzzers they've and, gotten, and they've gotten the cheating lab yep, going. That's yeah, <laughs> you know, I I pushed back last year. I felt like last year I was spending all my time saying, "No, things aren't failing. You know, the sky isn't falling. Uh, the the system isn't you know going backwards as fast as it can." And I'm I'm now this year I'm pushing back the other way. I'm like saying this year isn't an unmitigated success. Um, you know. Last year they had what four teams go to the playoffs and two win championships. Uh, Patrick Bailey, Casey Schmidt, and Louis Matos have all three of those guys have played on championship teams each of the last two years. Um, so there were a lot of successful things. Not that you know winning games is necessarily the most important thing, but it wasn't like everything was going bad last year, and it's not like everything's going good this year. There's uh, Eugene continues to be. Uh, a place that is really difficult for players for, I think, a variety of reasons. Um, and so really good prospects are going there and, and having a little stumbling block. But then we've seen this year that they can learn from the failures there. I mean, Bailey and Matos both made real changes this year that you can see came out of the struggles they had last year. Uh, you know, struggle is a good thing for player development. It's It's hard and nobody likes it. And that's one thing I talk with players about a lot is like, how do you divorce the sort of emotional impact of failing from the lessons you can learn from failing because the lessons are really valuable, but the emotions are really difficult. And if you get down on yourself, it's hard to get better. That's kind of, you know, the tricky thing that's going on in development all the time. Uh, but there were guys that had hard seasons last year that got better because of them and are now helping the big league club. There were guys who had fantastic years last year who are kind of struggling this year because they've gone up a level and have new challenges and have to do that kind of problem solving thing that these kids have to do to figure out how to get over the the next hurdle and the next hurdle and the next hurdle. But neither of these two years have been like everything's going wrong or everything's going right. They've both been just kind of the process, which is what every year really is. Yeah. And it's easy for us to sit there and struggle with the results when there's hundreds of guys struggling to actually deal with the, the reality of playing these games and dealing with the, the opposition. Uh, so I'm just largely kidding. I think it's a good thing to remember that like, as much as if you, if you are like looking at the giant, like the triple A roster, like I bet Will Wilson's going to have a good year. And then he goes over eight over a two game stretch. I promise you, Will Wilson is taking that harder than you are. But it's also, that's how you learn, right? And so that's how you kind of grow and develop and get better. I think that's a really important part of how the whole system works. I think also, Roger, like you said, it's not, you're pushing back on the idea that this is a 180 effectively, right? And I I agree. I I wouldn't say like, oh yeah, everything's great hunky-dory. I just am reminded that there are so many guys that we want to talk about 
that like yeah. more people like and even the ones who took steps backwards like I, I have a I sent you a list of names beforehand and I didn't include Kyle Harrison and I didn't really I just kind of remembered to put Marco Luciano at on the list at the end there not because I think those guys are toast or done or anything but it's kind of like we've all talked about them enough and we're just kind of okay they're having seasons they're developing and they're not taking big steps back we're waiting to see but there's so many interesting other guys to kind of pop up and go, well, what's going on with them that I think that's a big difference from last year. Cause a lot of it's like, well, what about this guy? Oh, he slept wrong and he's been out for two months, <laughs> whatever it is. Like remember that, that was kind of like what last year was or felt like the pandemic set a lot of things back for culture for culture. It's not like a surprise that it would also impact athletes and performance and all that stuff and teaching, which is a large part of what player development is, I would imagine. Yeah. And I mean, to me, really what the story of the last couple of years is, is that they were coming out of the pandemic really thin in the upper minors. Um, and particularly, and, and that, that hasn't helped uh, any by the fact that the guys who were in the upper minors, which is really, you know, Joey Bart, Elliot Ramos, uh, Sean Jelly, that 2018, 2017 group, didn't really do very well uh, at, at when they got to the top of the ladder. Uh, but beyond them, there, there wasn't much prospect depth in the upper minors two years ago. And essentially the, what the last two years have been about some of those guys working their way up from the bottom to the, get to the, to the point where they can impact the team. And that can happen fast sometimes. I mean, Keaton Wynn not only missed 2020 because of the pandemic, he missed the next year because of Tommy John's surgery. So, you know, 2022 was his first year in three years. And, you know, by the end of it, he's a 40 man player and, and like two months away from making his major league debut, you know, Louis Matos has that really difficult season in high a, but two months later, amazingly, he's in the majors. It can start to happen fast when guys get to the upper minors, but just, you know, two years ago, there just wasn't that prospect depth in double a AA and triple a to start kind of filling some of these roles, even to the, you know, like Ryan Walker level role where, you know, Walker, who I think was part of the 2018 draft. He took a long while working his way up, um, but got better and better and better and better. And that's what was kind of missing last year and the year before. It's like those kind of guys who were close enough that they could step in when opportunities developed. This year, those guys have finally worked their way up and are starting to have an impact on the major leagues, which is why I think everybody thinks it's, it's a really, really good year on the farm because yeah. it's having a, this positive impact on the major league team. <laughs> well, that's what we've been waiting for, right? <laughs> exactly, uh, so, yeah. yeah. So we're we're recording this as the MLB draft is happening. So uh, Doug and I will talk about the draft. We won't uh, monopolize Roger's time. He's also got to fly away like Superman and go deal with the draft once the Giants make their picks. Can we just for a moment about this draft, though? Just We all saw what happened when Rob Manfred came out. Did we all? <laughs> uh, my wife was in the room. She's like, "What's happening?" I'm like, "That's the commissioner of baseball." That she's like, "Why are they booing him?" I was like, "Because he's an awful person." She's like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> it, it is, I think, part of the part of the job requirements of, of commissioners. You get booed whenever you appear in public. Uh, uh, at least uh, baseball. At least baseball. Base- football too. It's hockey. Really just Adam Silver at this point. Just Adam Silver is like, that's right. Yep. And also I love that it seemed to get under Manfred's skin. That was, uh, was wonderful. But should we talk about some of these players? Uh, there are a, a bunch of guys I want to get into. 
Uh, Carson Wisenant was named to the Futures game along with Kyle Harrison, who had to who had to bow out because of injury. Uh, but Wisenant pitched in an inning. He got two strikeouts. You interviewed him. I want to talk kind of more about that interview than you can talk about the inning if you want. But he sure. he, he talked about his circle change in the interview. So you'll listen to the podcast and hear all that. And he and, and that's what he got his two strikeouts on, right? The 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 changeup. Yeah, I mean the changeup is his out pitch. I, what was really kind of interesting if you do listen to that interview is he's been working on his changeup since he was like nine. I mean, I asked him like like. What are you changing up from when you're nine years old? Like, how can you even, how hard are you throwing? He's like, yeah, I wasn't throwing it very hard. Um, but he's really been tinkering with, because he didn't throw breaking balls. And and he doesn't have a great feel for spin. So that'll be sort of something to watch with him going forward. But he didn't throw a breaking ball until he was in high school. So he spent years, like, fine-tuning this changeup. And essentially, like, he takes he grips the ball in his thumb and his first two fingers. And those are, as he explained, his your power fingers. Those are what you create power on a fastball with. So he's throwing the pitch as hard as he does his fastball hmm. with those power pitches. But because he's, he's then using the two little fingers to kind of manipulate it and get a little movement on it. He's, he's always like tinkering to get the most movement on it. It doesn't, arrive and like he's throwing it as fast as he throws his fastball but it doesn't arrive as fast as he has as his fastball does uh, because he's not using the same grip but he's using his pinky to kind of manipulate it, and he gets this like screwball action on it almost uh which is why it's really effective to left-handers one of the strikeouts was jackson holiday who's probably the number one prospect in baseball right now and he's a he's a left-hander uh and he gets this like very scroogey action on it to left-handers. So it goes back into their shins. Uh, it's really a devastating pitch. Um, but but change-ups are real field pitches. And the fact that he's literally been throwing this thing for more than half his life, like 14 years, he has complete and utter confidence to throw this pitch at all time in a way that, like Kyle Harrison has a really good change-up, but he doesn't have the confidence to really throw that pitch all the time in games because – it's 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 the other pitch that he has and and the confidence you have is really everything on a, on a changeup. well that thanks for identifying it tagging it with the screwball movement because to me it was like is that like a flat slider what's going on with that movement there it looked <laughs> really interesting um doug have you seen a picture of carson wisenant i have yeah um what what seen and dazed and confused did he fall out of I, i'm a little foggy <laughs> on the movie <laughs> I assume you know that movie well so i'm asking right as as the world's biggest dazed yes. and confused fan i can tell you <laughs> um no i mean he's he's absolutely got that look either he's he's like halfway between spicoli and a firefighter <laughs> just like any firefighter you see on the street is gonna have that kind of like at least the upper facial hair, they're not going to have the full goatee um, or they will have a full goatee. But yeah, it's, I think, I think that's kind of the combo there. I'm pretty sure that dazed and confused is set on the last is this day of my freshman year. Oh my year God, that's school. embarrassing. I, I let it slide. It's, I understood. No, I understood. No, that, was, slide. that was bad. It was <laughs> on the last day of high school. Yeah. in in the seventies. Well, no, but specifically it was the last day of my freshman year. So I always identify with the kids, the, like the freshmen who are getting uh, messed around with in that in that movie. Carson was one of them. Uh, so, 
Did you, Roger, have you since been able to come up with the name for his changeup? That was also something you talked about. No, I, to the best of my knowledge, he still does not have a name for it. I, I have encouraged him to get, get something on the books pretty quick because uh, he, he's going to need to knit. That pitch is going to keep him in the majors for a long time. Um, you know, what, what role is going to be, that's some other things will we'll have to fall into place for that. But that pitch is going to keep him in the majors for sure. Doug, you saw the list I gave. Is there anyone you want to mention now instead of just me monopolizing this list? I mean, I know it's kind of a small sample because of injury, but how for real is Elliot Ramos's turnaround been this year? Would you say? I know in the majors, he he at least by the eye test to me looked better, even though the results weren't great. Um, and you know, small sample means what do the results mean? Um, but since he came back from injury, he's been crushing the ball both you know in his initial part of the rehab and in San Jose. And then when he got to Sacramento, I mean, is, is there something there again that we can hope for? That is a really great question that I think the next three weeks are going to be kind of fascinating because he seems to me like one, I mean, with Hanniger out and with the right-handed power sort of disappearing for the last month, um, this is a guy on the 40 man who can be a right-handed hitting outfielder who maybe has that power or on the other hand, uh, is he somebody that they're going to attempt to move in a deadline deal? It, this is like you'd like to be a fly on the wall for their internal evaluations because he clearly could fill a role that they have right now if it's for real. I will say that just watching him process-wise, the swing doesn't look all that much different than last year. He does still let the ball really travel. He does still hit the ball to the other to the offensive field a lot. He does still hit hard ball, ground balls, um, hard balls on the ground a lot, which was a lot of the problem he was having last year. But there is a little more, I don't know, dynamicism. Is that a word? Uh, It does. (laughs) Dynamicism. um, It does seem to be a little more fluid. And last year he talked a lot about being too tight, uh, which I, you know, I've sometimes said he's a little muscle bound in his swing. It's what they used to call it in the seventies because he's just so you know muscular in the upper body. Um, so I, you know, the question is: is that looseness translating? We'll see. I mean, if they give, if they, if they think it, it's it's legit, then he should be getting an opportunity these next three weeks to kind of see if he's someone who can help from within, or if they have to go outside the organization to to get you know, that right-handed power that they really need right now. This is a good jumping off point to kind of uh, condense the rundown here. You're suggesting, Roger, or I'm simply deciding to leap to the conclusion that the Giants have some sort of vibes-based development part of their plan. Uh, Relaxing. Uh, David VR, when he got sent down last time, he talked about how like they wanted to kind of him to work on his attitude a little bit. Not like he had a bad one, but like maybe don't, be so down when you don't do well or whatever. That was the implication anyway. Uh, in your Jimmy Glowinky interview that you had, also another great one, um, you know, you talked it, you introed that for the audience. Like the Giants seem to really focus on character, uh, you know, and getting good players. I'm going to, I've been obsessed with Glowinky since two spring trainings ago. I don't know why. There's just something about him, like kind of hitterish or, 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 like not obnoxiously pesky, but like this guy's got something. And then when you interviewed him, cause I'd never heard him speak, you're going to call me crazy. Cause you were sitting there. So this could just be an audio distortion thing. He sounded a little bit like Buster Posey. 
not like the like just the sound, the timbre of his voice. And so that got me thinking, vibes wise, great players are the Giants just like taking Buster Posey and they're saying, Here, there's a spectrum of posiness, and we need to get as many players to fall into that spectrum as possible. But you sat next to the guy and talked to him. Am I completely off base here? Well, I will say, and, and Doug can kind of like jump in here too. It is remarkable to me how thoughtful the responses I tend to get from players in this organization are. It's seemingly all the time. Like every kid I sit down and talk with, um, you know, they're they're not all necessarily comfortable in interview situations, but they're all really thoughtful. They all seem pretty introspective. Um, they all have really, really answer, interesting answers to virtually every question. Uh, so that is something that really strikes me that it must be an organizational principle that they're looking, they are looking for center, you know, good people, good kids. Um, you know, I think because they work with so much data, they want sort of smart kids who are, you know, introspective and good at self-assessment. Uh, so it, it's not surprising to me that you get a lot of, a lot of kids in this organization who who are really impressive in their kind of ability to articulate uh, complicated, whether it's processes or emotions or whatever. Uh, and yeah, Jimmy was, was, was really impressive. He's a, he's, he's a smart kid for sure. Um, he's a, just a fun fact about Jimmy. And we talked about this in our interview. He ended last year by hitting a, an extra inning home run that won the championship game the year before he had hit, I think in the eighth inning, of game two, a game tying home run that then led to San Jose winning the next day. So he's got this like really clutch clutchiness thing going on <laughs> in his minor league career, which is pretty, pretty darn cool. He also said that he had some swing thoughts and feelings that he, <laughs> and I've never heard that before. Am I just, I'm just old now and the kids are talking in different ways now, but this would be, seem to be on the same line of swing decisions and that's the new thing. And you uh, mentioned that last in one of your mailbags that you had gotten last season's swing decision data for the Giants uh, system. I'm wondering, you know, can you tell us what distinguishes, you know, what, what does that mean exactly? Um, I, I guess I'm bringing it up because like, Fan graphs in 21, they were like, there's no differentiation between pitches that just miss the defined strike zone versus those that miss by multiple feet. So it's like, do the swing decisions that teams have, do they take that into account as far as you can tell? I mean, when you when you look at uh, like baseball savant and look at swing decision metrics on, on, on savant, it does. It has what, like the shadow zone and the chase zone and the waste zone. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it really is defining the different areas of missing the zones the data that uh that you're referring to that i uh i i kind of stumbled my way on through various contacts in the industry uh it's not like that it's really just sort of z swing o swing you know in zone swing out of zone swing in zone contact out of zone contact uh and which is where the chase numbers are let's see if i look at Jimmy, I could see that he was chasing 36% of the time last year. And this year, what are we looking for for Jimmy? This is a little bit old, but uh, yeah. So actually, actually his, his out-of-zone swing rate has gone down about 10% this year. 
uh, I think this number I'm looking at was is only Eugene. So he improved pretty significantly on that from last year to this year. I think his swing thoughts that he was talking about were actually kind of mechanical. It's like how your body moves and what parts of your bodies you need to start with. Uh, uh, but he does have swing thoughts and swing feelings, which is, which is pretty funny. <laughs> no. I, I, do, I do want to go back to something else you say, which is the issue of kind of emotionally dealing with struggling. And particularly, you know, VR, actually Casey Schmidt too. I, I know I had a conversation with David VR two years ago where he talked about exactly that thing of like having to rediscover joy for the game after going through struggles. I had this exact same conversation with Casey Schmidt last year. We said, yeah, the year in San, in San Jose was really important because he learned to fail and he learned to come out and have fun no matter what the results were. But, you know, you can see it now this year, he's wearing it again a little bit. And I, I think the nature of the game is that's a lesson that you have to keep relearning over and over. And you certainly have to relearn it at every level. Like learning how to fail at a ball is not necessarily the same as learning how to fail in, in the major leagues and the emotional kind of toll of, of that keeps kind of coming back at you. And it's, it's something you have to keep working at and keep processing. I think. Scary stuff. Cause that's everyone else in life all the time too. <laughs> Wade Meckler. He's gotten several of your newsletter headlines recently. Pitch me Wade Meckler. What, what am I, what's going on here? Who is this guy? I, well, this is an incredibly intense guy. Um, incredibly focused. In fact, with the, I remember talking to him the night he made his double A debut and I kind of asked him about, the success he was having this year. And he, he didn't talk about, he talked a little bit about his swing, but mostly he talked about kind of mental skills work he was doing with actually Tyler Graham, uh, an old giants uh, sure. farmhand uh, who also went to Oregon state, which is where Meckler graduated from. Uh, and he really credits, credited a lot of his success to his mental processes, his ability to, you know, maintain concentration and focus. Uh, he's a really intense getter. That day he showed up, you know, some guys on the team were saying like, hey, you know, not, he's not giving us a lot of smiles. Uh, in fact, he is actually very chatty and very gregarious kind of when you get him away from his work processes, but in his work processes, he is a focused kid. Um, I, so I wrote something about him the other day. We're basically, again, looking at this, this um, swing data. His combination of in zone contact and out of zone chasing is remarkably similar to a yet another Oregon state outfielder uh, named Stephen Kwan. Um, oh. He's, he's making contact with pitches in the strike zone 95, a little more than 95% of the time this year. And his out of zone swing rate is like 12%. I mean, it's really, really low. It's right next to, Lamont Wade's basically on on the Giants org chart. So he basically doesn't swing at things that are in the strike zone and he hits things that are in the strike zone, which is a pretty good combination for a hitter. I mean, he's not, he's also, you know, Stephen Kwan level power. He's not a guy who's going to hit the ball out of the park much, but the combination of swinging at the right pitches and making contact with them is, seems to be pretty special. He also looks like he was in the remake of 310 to Yuma. Just looking at his <laughs> reference page, it looks like he's from the Wild West. <laughs> also, his his helmet always falls off uh, anytime he's running the bases, which is uh, just a great look. Okay, oh, it's fun. It's fun. It's every, everyone's favorite thing about Eduardo Nunez. 
exactly. <laughs> or if you want to go old school, Gary Matthews. Gary yeah. Matthews used to do that all the time too. I'm going to unfairly com- combine, mention them both of them, but like how's Von Brown doing? It seems like he's been injured a little bit. And then Marco Luciano's coming back from injury. And it kind of seems like uh, they're on opposite ends of the spectrum right now. Am I wrong? Uh, no, actually their, their timeframes were not that different. Both of them, uh, missed much of the spring. Um, I think Luciano started hitting in games maybe a week or so before Brown did. Both of them started the year in extended spring training and actually, uh, they're, they're very good friends and they, they push each other a lot and they talk to each other a lot on the field. And, uh, I remember when, when Luciano got to Richmond, I was I was talking with him and I asked him, you know, kind of what extended was like, and his face really lit up when I when I mentioned Von Brown. He's like, oh yeah, he's he's a really good teammate to have. Uh, I think they push each other, they talk a lot. Um, Brown uh, is pretty good in Spanish; he's learned Spanish, so he can talk to teammates. Um, so Luciano showed up in Richmond right about the same time that Brown started in San Jose and San, and, and moved his way up. But he got to Richmond not too far after Luciano, so they're they're on a similar time frame this year. They 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 basically missed all of spring training. Uh, it's taken a while to kind of get up to the speed of the game. It, um, they are they're both sort of coming back from injury and trying to move up a level at the same time, which is really uh, a, a complicated process. Uh, they're facing the best pitching they ever had, so you know they're both progressing pretty well. I think. Um, Luciano is interesting this year because it, it, he is making a really, really conscious effort. You can, you can really watch it to work very long, deep at bats. And he seems to, he's like Brandon Belt this year. He gets to three, two on virtually every time he comes to the plate, um, whether he starts O two or whatever, he's always working deep at bats. Uh, which I think is why the strikeouts have been as high as they are mm-hmm. um, he, because he's working on getting into two strike counts and, and sort of forcing the, the hitter to the pitcher to, you know, he's trying to wear down pitchers because that's an organizational philosophy. And he's, it, it hasn't quite clicked for him yet, but you can see him working on this evolution, which I think is pretty exciting. Um, he hits the ball just tremendously hard. That's what I was going to um, say. And, it's like all the all the other stuff looks pretty good. It's, it's outside of batting average. It's like he's yeah, and I think that's going to catch up. Yeah. I think that's going to catch up. I just think it's 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 a development that he is trying because his walk rate is far above anything you've ever seen from him before, uh, where he really is trying to do this do damage or take a walk a philosophy that the, that the organization uh, has wanted to see from its hitters. You can see him really bought into that. Uh, he, he's a really hard worker. You know, he cares very deeply about succeeding. So I, I think that's going to like come together for him. I'd like to see the results of that sort of kick in the second half. Um, Von Brown's had a little more chase to his, uh, his seasons. I, I think his, his sort of strikeouts and, and, and contact issues that he's having in Richmond are, are slightly more worrisome to me than Luciano's because there is a little chase there and there, there is a little swing and miss, um, you know, but he's just, he's, he's a really impressive person. I mean, he is, he is smart. He's driven. His teammates love him. He's, you know, generous with his time. He really internalizes processes. Well, um, 
he's you know good at every phase of the game he's really fast he's really good on defense he has a good arm and he hits the ball really really hard so you know i i think he needs to you know the thing he's probably focused on right now is bringing double a pitchers back into the zone a little more than he has the first month or so um but there sure are a lot of a lot of things to like about him if you're wondering, Roger writes like how he speaks. So if you're really interested in getting in depth on, I'm not, I mean, <laughs> that, I'm selling that, your thing. Is that, I'm, good or is, is that good or bad, right? If you, I'm saying it's great. I'm saying that Roger has committed very much to uh, finding, you know, not just the stories in the system, but giving, you know, his subscribers some good material to really think about as well as just to be like, well, what's happening with the giants for me, Luciano, I was, I've written him off because he gets hurt. And so the idea that he's kind of what I'm, I'm happy to see is that he's coming back from injury, which is tough. It's like, it's nothing, it's not a skill, but it's like, is he going to be the same prospect status on, on a development path that's positive for him? given the, all the time he's missed. And it's it's just heartening to see that he is effectively, on a, in addition to the pitch recognition, the walks, uh, seems to be reclaiming the t- the status he had, right? I mean, it, you can kind of comfortably say he's still Marco Luciano. He, he, he missed some time. Now he's getting some time back, and we're starting to see why everyone was so high on him. So Yeah, absolutely. I've actually, I'll say just one thing before you move on. I've, I've, I've been impressed with the way he's moving at shortstop lately. I mean, when he, two months ago, I thought he was a little stiff looking as he was coming back from the back injury, but he's looked pretty good out there this year. I do think there's still, you know, a potential outcome where he's a shortstop hitting 35 home runs. I, I don't think that possibility has, has set sail yet. Yeah, I think that's a very exciting. I'm looking at his page and I never noticed this though. And it put a lump in my throat. Uh, Doug, do you know when Marco Luciano was born? Uh, he turns 22 this year. He I think I born... know the answer to this. Was it was it 9-11? 9-10. Yeah, I knew it was right around. Yep, yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the elephant in the room real quick. The the guy you said you missed. The guy none of us really expected to be where he's at, potentially transforming the franchise and saving the season. Patrick Bailey, the switch inning catcher. <laughs> what the hell's going on, incredible Roger? Story. <laughs> incredible story. I mean, well, you know, go back to what we said at the beginning, that, that failure is often really valuable for development if if you approach it the right way. And I think, um, you know, I think one thing – the last both the last years that I heard uh, was that you know that the Giants thought Bailey could be a little you know stronger, a little more physical, and and then this is a big thing for Pete Patilla and for Gabe Kapler. They really believe in the value of good old fashioned strength, and I think this winter he absolutely did sort of devote himself to adding you know lean muscle, building his body up. Uh, in a way that he hadn't before. And and you can see the results really in winter. He also kind of rethought about what kind of hitter he wanted to be. He, um, when I talked to him at the beginning of the year, he said, you know, he thought that he'd become a lot more uh, too, too Homer conscious uh, in, in single a, you know, too focused on trying to yank balls out of the, the park. Uh, and he wanted to go back to being more the hitter he was in college, which was kind of a gap to gap line drive sort of guy um but i mean oh my god i mean 
it's it's kind of incredible to go from being you know back to back years where you you weren't necessarily a standout player in what's maybe not a great high A league to being maybe the most important player on the major league team. And for that to happen in a period of about, you know, a winter and then two months is just extraordinary. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of the all credit to the player. The player has to kind of take agency and decide and self-assess and say, where can I improve myself? Who do I want to plead? What kind of player do I want to be? And then go out and do it. And he really has, um, but I think the one consistency that he's always had, you know, in his back pocket that is hard to see, you know, from, from the fan perspective, because it, it really, quote, it really doesn't show up in box score. But every time I talk with a pitcher who had pitched to him, you know, in the last two years in San Jose or Eugene, you could hear in their voice, they all, you know, Bailey always comes up in conversations with pitchers. They'll say, you know, he, you know, he's the guy who tell, told me he's to throw this pitch, or he told me to do this with my command. You really got a sense that this is a guy who had an ability to, you know, work psychologically with his pitchers, that they felt in good hands, that they felt guided and comforted in working with them in a way that I just don't hear a lot of pitchers talk about other catchers. And that's like a baseline skill that's not going to go away for him. Does that get captured in scouting? Like uh, for uh, for prospect status, does that get when he was in college? Does that kind of thing like scouts talking to other pitchers or coach, you know, people around? Is that oh Bailey's name comes up and that gets added in? I I you know I think so, except it's so hard to to quantify, especially in this sure. age where they want to quantify it and everything. I mean, I kind of go back to uh, do you remember Buster Posey's retirement um, press conference? Um, Farhan said something to the effect of, you know, when you were gone, we were really lost and we didn't even know it. Like we didn't even understand why, like the organization twice now has sort of not been able to deal with Posey leaving because it's hard to see all of the ways in which that personality catalyzes the the club and the locker room uh, positively and I, I think that's that's kind of the same. You know, it's interesting because Bailey is a guy who, you know, you hear this chatter of, of scouts, like, not liking his body language, which is a, a, an area of scouting that I love talking to scouts. That's an area of scouting that I don't much like getting into because I think it's very biased and filtered through some, some uh, you know, armchair psychology or whatever. Um but I think that some of that is just his calmness. Like he exudes a calmness and that the pitchers love that, but maybe the scouts sitting in the stands are like, where's the rah-rah, where's the fierce leader type? I want to see that guy who takes charge. And his way of taking charge was just very subtle and very different, but the pitchers really feel it on the field. So I think the answer is yes, but maybe not very accurately. Well, that's, I mean, that's why, Doug, you and I wouldn't be good scouts. We we had A.J. Prezinski vibes on him initially. <laughs> <laughs> what was that just, all about? Just, for, just from his face, though. Yeah, just, just from one face, still yeah. picture of his face. I have to sneak in this last question. Roger, I need to know who knew and when they knew that he actually, a natural righty, actually had quite a bit of power and could hit just fine from the right side of the plate. 
Were well, you sitting on that secret too, so that you didn't dip, so that when he got up there and people were floating in sliders when he was right-handed, you just crash them? Did did Giants people make you embargo that information yes. until he got to the majors? That he he embargoed that information. I even in in Richmond. I mean, he was tearing up Richmond for like three years, three weeks, or whatever. It was like, man, this guy looks great. And then they bring in a left-handed pitcher. I'm like, eh, the right-handed swing does still a little stiff. And then you get to the majors and it's just hit, hitting bombs. I mean, some of that, again, is just being a lot stronger this year. But, uh, you know, I, every, when he came up, everyone was like, oh, why don't they just make him stop hitting right-handed? And I will say that really gets under my skin because, one, the reason he hits right-handed is because he wants to do it. This is the baseball player he's always been his whole life. And, you know, players have agency over their careers. But the other thing is, like literally the guy has never taken a left on left at bat in his life. And you want him to start doing that in the major leagues and think this is a path to success. I mean, that's a little crazy. Let him do the thing he's been doing and try and help him get a little better at it. All right. Well, Roger, let's uh, close here before I give you the, the floor to, to sell the Substack again. Uh, the, the awesome <laughs> Substack that any Giants fan worth their salt should be subscribed to. Uh, what are your kind of hopes for the second half of the farm system? And that could be anything. Like, I hope I get to see more games or I hope the, that climate change doesn't like uh, scorch all the fields, whatever. I just, uh, any <laughs> second thoughts you have or thoughts you have on the second half? I mean, I do love this, this week, actually, I'm supposed to be talking to you from the West coast. Cause I was supposed to be on the West coast this week. And, and that sort of did, didn't happen uh, for various reasons. So one hope I have is that I, I get out and see some of the affiliates uh, in the second half. Um, but you know, like, I, I, as I say, like Marco Luciano, I've like watched him sort of trying to do something. I hope in the second half, the, like the good process starts leading to even better results. I hope to see, you know, guys like Ron Brown and Jimmy Gluinka kind of make those adjustments that, you know, push them to success at new levels. Cause it's fun to watch guys get that new challenge and try and start problem solving their way through it. Um, but you really want to see them have something at the end of the year that they can take out with them and feel good. You know, Tyler Fitzgerald last year really, really struggled through the first half. And I'd keep saying, how's how things going? He's like slowly, slowly, slowly starting to turn it around. And then the last, you know, month or two months, it, he really took off and he could take that momentum into the winter with them. So that, you know, that's what I hope for, for all these players that, that they have that sort of, end of their season that they can take them into the winter with a good idea of what the next level of their development is and, and some good energy and good momentum to, to reach that. Where can people read about all this? Listen, to all this, tell, t- sell it. I'll, I'll stumble over it. It'll sound terrible. It is. Uh, so, wow. What's that? Yeah. Uh, that, was, that was a music just, bed for, for this announcement. Doug so records on a motorcycle. Yeah. Uh, That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can find all my work at uh, my name rogermunter.substack.com you can also look for it at there are giants they're just the initial R like roger there are giants.com um, I try and do a, a mailbag every week uh, for the, for all of my free subscribers then of course my paid subscribers get the daily reports and um, I, I put out a, a every day uh, everything that happened on the farm the, the day before and do big weekend updates and interviews with players and then there's some podcasts and 
this week actually because the All Star break is here. I'll have a whole bunch of stuff coming out. Uh, a re-ranked uh, top thirty for the system and uh, organizational All Stars and some some trends I've been seeing this uh, the beginning of the year. Uh, so there's a lot of content rolling out in just the next few days. So if people hear this and, and want to come over, uh, there's some good stuff for you, I think. Thanks. And if you're wondering why a certain guy hasn't come up yet or who might come up next, you're going to probably know about it through Roger's uh, Substack before anywhere else. So check it out there. Roger, thanks so much for joining us. Fans First Sports Network, lucky to have you, even just gracing us with your presence. So much uh, knowledge. I really appreciate you doing it. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Doug. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for coming.